Good morning and welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church, where we believe faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all God's children. It is the second Sunday of Lent, and we are so thrilled that you have decided to join us for our live stream worship service. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson. And together with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are your interim pastoral team. Joining us in leading worship this morning are Dr. Julia Brown, our music director, Scott Bosher, our chancel choir director, and we have four very special cantors this morning, Emily Smith, Ryan Potts, Josh Ledesma, and Brennan Cardis. We also welcome our Stations of the Cross family, Bart and Braxton Orban. And as always, we are so grateful to Pat McGuire, who's our talented director of streaming. Thank you, Pat. As we mentioned last week, we have begun a phased reopening plan for the church. Currently, we have small group Bible studies, midweek, Elevate, and the Boy Scouts, all gathering in the Narthex and Chapel. We also have this sanctuary open for an hour on Tuesdays at noon and 10 a.m. on Fridays for you to come in and just have a time of silent prayer and meditation. We've heard from many of you that you simply miss this space. So during Lent, we created these weekly opportunities for you to be here safely in the space and have a time of reflection. Our Immerse Bible reading program has been launched. We are excited that so many of our church members and youth are engaging with the New Testament all at the same time. And Wednesdays at noon, if you'd like to join our Zoom discussion group, we'd love to have you. So you're always welcome to join us and contact the church if you'd like to order a book or you need more information about this program. Also, during Lent, we are offering a virtual Lenten music and meditation experience called Art Song in the Atrium. It includes beautiful music, art, and devotional materials and can be found on our website and our YouTube channel. To share more about today's music, we welcome Dr. Julia Brown. Our art song in the atrium continues tomorrow with a song by Gabrielle Fauré sung by Axel, so I hope that you will get on our website and not only listen to her beautiful singing, but also find the devotional that goes along with that. Other recordings we've been doing uh, a week ago today uh, was in the atrium with Malia and Abby and with Braxton, uh, setting down, laying down the, um, the accompaniment for our children's musical. So this will allow us to bring children in in mid-March to uh, record uh, children and youth, actually. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. And it was such a pleasure to hear Braxton playing last Sunday that I said, oh, wouldn't you bring your clarinet today as well? So we have an, oh, an, an extra piece to our worship service that is uh, a surprise, a wonderful surprise, actually. Um, adds some dimension to our gathering today. Um, we have a quartet from the choir singing a wonderful anthem from the 18th century, Surely He Has Borne Our Griefs by Graun. Uh, you may know this Isaiah text uh, from the wonderful chorus from Handel's Messiah, 
This is a different setting, a very dramatic setting, and one that I think really captures the lament of that text. And I am reminded, as the quartet is singing today, Scott and I were talking about how we had picked this as one of the anthems for chancel choir just about a year ago, and it's one of those brutal reminders of how long we've been in this time of with the pandemic. Um, so I invite you to lament with us, uh, to think about all the people we've lost and what we've lost, but also to be thinking about the hope that's in the horizon and about the opportunities that we have been able to find in this time. Thank you, Julia. For the next two weeks, we have a special outreach project for you to be aware of. Safe Haven Ministries is one of our outreach partners, and we're honored to join them in their work to end domestic violence. The need for their efforts really have only risen as the pandemic has increased the stress for so many people, and women and children are often stuck at home with their abuser, abusers. Safe Haven operates an emergency shelter for women and their children, and in this shelter there's a food pantry so moms and kids can find supplies to cook dinner together and share some sacred family time. We've committed to filling this pantry for the month of March, so you can check on our website for the needed items and feel free to drop them off anytime between 9 and 2 in the bins under the portico. Thank you so much, because let us always be mindful of those in need around us. And during this season of Lent, we have placed seven candles on the altar, one for each Sunday in Lent and one for Good Friday. Each week, we'll begin with one less candle lit. We can anticipate that on Easter Sunday, all of the darkened candles will be relit in celebration of Christ's resurrection. So we're entering a holy time, and as the candles slowly fade and the darkness deepens, we're retelling the story of Jesus' betrayal and death. And we're also using the Stations of the Cross in our Lenten liturgy this year. The stations are representations of the path Jesus bore on his way to the crucifixion. They involve Jesus enduring suffering, as well as moments of support. And they relay the intense sacrifice that we, as Christians, believe Jesus undertook for the salvation of humanity. So we will now proceed to our second Station of the Cross. The second station, Jesus takes up his cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Everybody in our family has a cross to carry. That cross is the difficulty we have in following Jesus. The crosses we carry can be doing work we do not like or laying down our pursuits to care for our children. The crosses we carry can also involve controlling our pursuits of earthly rewards, money, 
power, and prestige. It is not easy to carry the cross. Many times, young people do not see the crosses we have to carry. We have to obey our parents and treat others with kindness and respect. We have to take care of our responsibilities at home and at school. Jesus, help us to be like you and carry our cross. Let us pray. Jesus, help Help us us see each other carrying our our crosses with with you. you. Help Help us be aware of the burden that each member of the family is carrying in our daily life. Help us follow your example. Let us pray. Holy Lord, we are so eager to get to Easter. It's not fun to dwell on the pain that you endured in the journey to the cross, but we know we need to. In order for Easter to be the celebration that it is, we must enter the valley of death with you. As we carry our crosses, as you carried yours, help us to gain a deeper understanding of what you endured so that we may be encouraged and empowered in our own lives. Amen.
Our first scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 through 18. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a deep and terrifying darkness descended upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your offspring shall be aliens in a land that is not theirs, and shall be slaves there, and they shall be oppressed for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, You shall go to your ancestors in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our second scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said. So numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses, and who was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ladislas Farago's book, Patton, Ordeal, and Triumph, is one of the best biographies of George Smith Patton. Farago traces Patton's life from his childhood in California all the way to the car wreck in Germany where he broke his neck and would eventually die two weeks later. One particular scene or chapter deals with the Allied landing in North Africa, Operation Torch, and explaining how Patton was operating during that time before he took over Second Corps. Farago gives a little story on the side. The Allies were planning the Big Three Conference, their first Big Three Conference at Casablanca. It would involve Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt. Farago relates this little-known story. In the evening, sun had gone down, it was dark in the desert, a young Appalachian private was screaming out, Corporal of the Guard! Corporal of the Guard! The corporal came running. 
came to the post and says, what's wrong? And he sees that this private has his rifle aimed right at a car, and in the back of the car was a very important person. The soldier said, Corporal, this man here claims to be Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, and he don't know the password. The corporal immediately told the soldier to come to attention, waved at Churchill. Churchill was laughing, gave his V for victory signal, and the car moved in. Now, why does Farrago tell this story when he's writing a biography? Well, because historians tell stories. And because it's a funny aside and it's a funny vignette in the whole North African theater. And we're people. People tell stories. We're people of a campfire. And we love our stories. And there are various perspectives in the story. For example, the private. This private probably had been no further than three mountains away from his home. He was not worldly. He wouldn't have known who Stalin was. He certainly didn't know who Churchill was. And he probably didn't know that his president was Franklin Roosevelt. He was thrust into a world where he had no understanding whatsoever. There's a perspective of the corporal, the non-commissioned officer in charge. He's panicking because this is his post, all of the posts. And his officer has said, secure this perimeter. He runs down, horrified to see Winston Churchill sitting in a car and a rifle pointed at the Prime Minister. Then there's Churchill's perspective. Churchill is looking at the situation, and he doesn't get condescending. He's a politician. Farrago says he's smiling and laughing and giving the V for victory sign. Churchill undoubtedly would recall this incident and tell it humorously many times. If we take a look at today's story from Genesis, we can see a story with different perspectives. Let's start out from the beginning. In Hebrew storytelling, we usually have one person and that person is going to make a decision. We have another person, and that person is going to intervene in the decision. And somewhere in the middle, we either have another person representing the decision or representing an issue. And indeed, that's what we have here today. We have Abram, who will become Abraham. We have God. And we have an issue, the promise. There are different ways to read this story. One way to read it is to read it literally. A lot of people do that, and they get deep meaning from the Bible. They don't know what to do often with the end of the story because you've got a torch and a pot smoking with incense going between dead animals. There's a modern way of reading the story, and that's just simply pick up the Bible and read it. 
And there again, we understand that promise. But when we get to the magic torch and the fire pot going between dead animals, it kind of goes beyond us. We don't run into that at D&W. But there's another way to read the story. That way was developed by German theologians in the 19th century. It's called literary criticism. It's the way we read literature or a novel. We look at the incident based on what the narrator is trying to get across. And what we see with this really brings some depth to the story. We see that Abram is standing faced with God, and God is making a promise. You will be the father of many nations. This is God making a promise. How will I know? I am promising you. The issue then becomes, does Abraham believe? Another literary issue, the father of many nations. God is the God of all the nations. And the three great faiths that are born from this story. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And there's another way to look at this story, also developed by German theologians in the 19th century, and that's called historical criticism. That's when we look at the historical aspects that contain the story. Churchill arriving at Casablanca, the backdrop is Operation Torch in World War II. Abraham receiving a promise. The backdrop is Mesopotamian culture nearly 4,000 years ago. There were various empires in the region. There were ecological struggles. There was a climate change, not as fast as happening today, but it did affect the vegetation and agricultural methods. And Abraham's moving along that way. There's a growing monotheism, and Abraham will be a monotheist. But there's also an empire to the north. And the empire of the north has discovered something the other people don't have. They're walking around with bronze. Bronze helmets, bronze-covered shields, and bronze swords. The people to the north, called the Hittites, have discovered iron, iron helmets, iron encased shields, iron swords. Iron beats bronze. The Hittites form an empire. And the Hittites were serious about their empire. The Hittite king would take an oath from the people that he conquered. If they wanted to live, if they wanted to continue being his vassal, if they, if they wanted to hold their position of authority among their people, they had to swear an oath to the Hittite king. They had to pledge absolute loyalty. 
And at the end of that ceremony, animals would be sacrificed. And their blood spread along the grass in front of the king. The newly made vassals had to walk through that blood, swearing allegiance to the king of the Hittites, reciting an oath that went something like, O great Hittite king, if I disobey my vow to you, may you do to me what has been done to these animals. When we combine literary criticism and historical criticism, this story takes on a rich meaning. God, metaphorically, is taking up a cross. God is making a promise. Abram, you will be the father of many nations. People will flock to you. You're going to have a good life. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. And at that time, we all experienced this. When you're just about asleep, and just about awake, and reality is distorted. Sometimes it's frightening, sometimes it's comforting, sometimes we don't even notice it. Abram is in this place. I think it's a place of deep prayer. He's afraid. And we always hear fear not. And why should we fear not? Because God, with a torch and a fire pot creating incense, is passing through the animals, the animals that will be eaten later. And God is promising, Abram, if I break my word to you, may you do to me what has been done to these animals. That's a powerful story. The issue is, do we have faith in God's promise? Paul picks up that idea. Paul is writing about the law and he's writing about faith. He says the law gives us the way we should behave. The law puts up a lot of do's and don'ts. The law tells us what we should do. The law tells us who's in and who's out. And the law doesn't really work because we don't need to know who's in and who's out. What works, Paul says, what works is faith. And where does he go with that faith? Is it believing in a particular creed? Is it believing in a particular set of laws? Is it believing in a particular set of facts? Is it reciting some church doctrine? No. Paul goes 
to Abraham. Paul says, faith is greater than the law. Because with faith, we overcome the law. And we see what God is as best as we can understand as humans. And God sees us as the people God already knows us to be. That's the faith. We Christians so often get that wrong. Some of you may know the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Some of you may engage in different confessions of faith or ritualized prayers. We Congregationalists come from a non-confessing tradition. That does not mean that we don't confess. That means we accept all the creeds. And we're free to say anyone we want, or we're free to avoid them. We are free thinkers. As we developed in the 1500s in England, we were the independents. But we Congregationalists still come up with rules and regulations. If you think I'm wrong, sit in somebody's seat on Sunday morning. The place where they know they should be. That's their real estate. We have ideas about the way the church should behave. We have ideas about what the pastor should do. We have ideas about the way the congregation should react to things. We have all our do's and don'ts. And we have lots of denominations like that. And they emphasize those rules. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, etc., etc., etc. We don't recite a creed, but it's right there in our hearts. Faith. Faith trumps all those ideas. Faith melts them into insignificance. Faith calls us to say, life means something. Faith calls us us to say, love is good. Faith moves us to say, there's not an in-group and an out-group but the outgroup belongs to us. Faith lets us look across denominations and embrace others. Faith, as Richard Rohr says, causes Catholics and Protestants to stop their ridiculous food fight. Faith brings us to a God that is good, a life that is worth living, and a love that's worth risking. When we think of faith, we so often think of Jesus taking up his cross. 
kind of like passing through the pieces of the animals before the feast. We think of suffering and we're told to take up our cross and follow Christ. And that gets depressing, irritating, and territorial. But let's think about that cross. Jesus took up the cross. And Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him. With words like, Come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Faith does not bring us to a cross of agony. Faith brings us to the presence of the eternal Christ and absolute joy. Joy beyond our wildest imagination. In 2015, Pope Francis gave a wonderful homily during a Mass. And he essentially said, you know, the important things of the church are not the things of the church. And our doctors of the church and our doctrinal purity are not the essence of the church. The essence of the church is the joy that we have when we come close to the Christ. The joy that we have when we know we can approach God and this God who has promised, I will be with you. We don't know what form that will take. We don't know exactly what life after death means. But nobody thought themselves into existence. We know that there is creation and we have faith that it is good. As Ruth said this morning, here at Mayflower, we believe that faith is a journey. God is good. And Jesus saves. Faith is unbridled joy. In the name of God the Creator, God the Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.
as we are reminded of God's faithfulness and of how God made everything right, may we give in a spirit of gratitude and peace. Thank you for the generosity you exhibit as you prepare your gifts and offerings.
Lord, thank you for bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. You are so faithful to us. Thank you that we are able to give and bless you through the work and ministry of Mayflower. Continue to use us mightily in the world to be agents of blessing. Amen. Now join our hearts together for our congregational prayer. Precious and holy God, we have been reminded this morning of the covenant you made with Abraham and the holy covenant you have made with all of humanity. You are faithful to us, and we get to respond with our faith in you and with unbridled joy. But these are difficult days. And the season of Lent can be a spiritual desert of waiting for Easter. So please grow us in our faith. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. And comfort us in the times when we need your divine comfort. We pray for our world as conflict, strife, and disease run rampant. We specifically lift up to you Myanmar, Yemen, Syria, and Congo. We pray for those in Central and South America who are so desperate for a life somewhere else. We pray for the health of our globe, and we pray for a reversal of the climate damage that we have wrought. We remember those in Texas and other places reeling from the after effects of storms, power outages, and water shortage. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers for our world. And God, we continue to pray for our country and our state. We pray for those in leadership to make wise choices that benefit all people, not just a few. And we pray for vaccines to be distributed so that those who want them are able to access them. We pray for economic opportunities for those whose livelihoods have been devastated. We pray for our children those whose schooling has been disrupted and disjointed and the repercussions of this, we can only imagine. And Lord, we pray for those struggling with mental health challenges in these very strange days. We pray for the women and children who are experiencing domestic violence. And we thank you for organizations like Safe Haven Ministries. May they have a full pantry and a generous budget for their work. And today we also pray for ourselves, for our church and this next season of leadership, and for our members. And Lord, we have a very long prayer list, so we lift up those who are on that list. 
But we also remember those who have not identified their request, yet they suffer in silence. Lord, bring your holy comfort and peace. And Lord, be with us. Lord, have mercy on us. Let us all pray the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
God has promised. Christ has invited. The presence of the Holy Spirit is with us. That's our faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.